to Doxed, the podcast. So I was basically trying to find any kind of information about parasocial relationships in this journal of cyber psychology, behavior, and social networking. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't much. And I think that in itself says a few things. Really, there was one that was called Exploring Viewers' Experiences of Parasocial Interactions with Video Game Streamers on Twitch. And basically, uh, it was saying that there's a pretty long tradition of non-interactive environments, like watching TV or listening to radio um, mm-hmm. and parasocial interaction, but there's a lot less research on parasocial relationships and interactive environments. So that would be like social media or like uh, Twitch streaming for games and the study found that there was an effect on experiences of parasocial interactions when the streamer interacted individually with viewers in the chat they just had a better basically a better time and also were less likely to troll but that's kind of very surface level and i also found another article that i was just googling around trying to find really anything about this. So this one was from the Association for Consumer Research, and it was called Forming Parasocial Relationships in Online Communities, and um, talks about parasocial interaction theory. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of provides an interesting model. There's a guy, Coetzenets, in 1999 that they, that they cite from European Management Journal, who kind of lays out four different types of community members which would be devotees, insiders, tourists, and minglers. And devotees are those people who possess a strong interest in, basically devotees are the people who have like a high interest in the kind of consumption activities of the channel, but few social ties. Then insiders have a strong interest in consumption and strong social ties. Tourists um, have a weak interest, like they're not that interested in the content, but they're more interested in, uh, they're also not interested in social ties. So I guess they're just stopping by and then minglers no interest in consumption and strong social ties. So basically devotees and tourists are kind of similar to like lurkers in that they Mm. maintain a weak social ties to the community overall. And you kind of have that range of uh, people in most of these communities. But again, this was kind of the extent of what I was finding. And I think that's very interesting because there is interest in like scholarly interest in how influencers can affect the decisions of viewers, but there's no research about how influencers are actually impacted by the parasocial relationships themselves. And um, I think that that's really because the viewer is the focus because they're the consumers and it's in capitalism. So Mm. it's focusing on their psychology uh, with anything that's out so far. And really the only psychology of influencers that matters is the fact that they're willing to be influencers, I guess. So they just become objects the same way workers are treated in general under capitalism and are treated as like very replaceable. So it's interesting to me that there's really not a lot of um, study yet at all about the psychological effects on influencers. Mm, Okay. Um, I hadn't seen like the devotee tourists, like the four different kinds, but I had seen when I first started looking for research on this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason why we were having a hard time finding a lot of research on this topic is because we're mostly we're mostly experiencing this on TikTok, and TikTok is new. And I think the intensity of parasocial relationships because of TikTok is something that's also new. But I found three different, um, I guess you can call them tiers of parasocial relationship. Okay. And this is based on the Giles study. The first level is entertainment social. Uh, which is the most common where people develop like a one-sided relationship with a media figure or social media influencer. And that relationship is mostly based on the entertainment value that that person provides. And the fan interaction is really limited to just consuming that person's content and ends there. And the second tier is the intense personal parasocial relationship and that's there's more of um there's a more significant emotional connection to that figure and it's to the point where that person feels like they actually know that person personally and i think we see a lot of that on tiktok i think that's where things get 
a little murky and maybe even a little dangerous. And Mm. those relationships can be particularly intense for people who are lonely or have um, difficulty forming in-person relationships. And my theory, and I haven't seen this anywhere, but my theory personally is that we see a lot of intense personal parasocial relationships form on TikTok, specifically within the autism community, because within that community, you do see a lot of social anxiety, um, a lot of difficulty and challenges with forming new friendships and maintaining new friendships. So the parasocial nature of a relationship, there's less risk. There's less risk of rejection or like blowback at all from I think if you're autistic, you're used to hearing really negative things about yourself from neurotypical people, and you just don't really experience that as much in a parasocial relationship as one-sided. There's less risk. There's less judgment Hmm. because that person just doesn't know you. That's interesting. And then the third level of parasocial relationship is borderline pathological. Hmm. Those types of relationships are the most extreme, and there's like an unhealthy level of attachment to that social media figure or actor or whatever. And people that develop that type of parasocial relationship might engage in more obsessive behaviors like stalking or looking up their personal info and maybe even feeling entitled to accessing that person because they feel like they know them mm. for real. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I was able to find. Fascinating um, kind of connections about autism that you're making. I think that um, that makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me too of something else I encountered, which wasn't exactly about parasocial relationships, but it was a study in that same uh, cyber psychology behavior and social networking journal. And it was tying Machiavellianism and psychopathy and narcissism in and calling it this, this dark triad. And basically saying that the, uh, this, there were these studies that found a correlation between online dis- disinhibition, which is basically like uh, less restriction and less concern for the consequences of your actions, um, which can derive from different characteristics of cyberspace like anonymity, invisibility, asynchronicity. So there's a correlation between that kind of stuff and trolling. You're more likely to troll if you feel anonymous. And then mm-hmm. it's uh, saying, this study is saying that it's basically mediated by psychopathy and narcissism and so, and Machiavellianism. So, and also it made this point that that men are actually more likely to engage in those traits than women. Oh. Yeah. So it was interesting that there was like a gendered correlation, but, um, but I think that there is a tie to almost like, I guess, antisocial personality disorders and the likelihood that you're going to engage in an unhealthy level of parasocial interaction for sure you know Mm -hmm. and I also think um there was there was something else that came up in that uh that second article that I was reading about the the weakness of the bond in parasocial relationships and uh it was just making a point that usually there is a much weaker kind of bond and I think that was exactly my, I think our experience, and it's not only between like a viewer and an influencer, but also between two influencers. I mean, I get, but anyway, I, I thought that I understood parasocial relationships because I understood that when it comes to influencer cults, there's a danger of having a narcissistic relationship between a person and a collective of people. Mm-hmm. And that weakness of the bond is also there in those cases. So, so, uh, if once it no longer is a mutually beneficial relationship between a narcissistic person and their followers, the followers are more easily willing to abandon or like eat the influencer. And that's kind of an interesting level of vulnerability for people like call out creators or just narcissistic influencers. Um, Mm. because they might kind of trick themselves into thinking that it is a stronger bond or they have more control than they really do. Mm-hmm. And I think in similar ways, like I tricked myself into thinking to some level that I had more genuine connection with some of the people that were sort of at my level as influencers because we had these public facing friendships, but mm-hmm. we really only had public facing interactions exclusively. And it was an illusion 
uh, to think that I really knew some of those people. Um, yeah. I think that changes a lot once you have private interactions, but um, I didn't realize how flimsy those doubly parasocial relationships also are. That's a really good point. And that was one of the most painful things I think I experienced throughout that whole situation was convincing myself that I had deeper bonds with people, but I myself was in a parasocial relationship that um that had a bit of an emotional investment on my end but you're right those bonds can be incredibly flimsy especially with other influencers and one thing that I kind of had to learn the hard way oh and you know how when you're going through something and then you start scrolling on TikTok TikTok shows you all the things that you need to hear Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) even if you're not like searching it exactly it'll it'll tell you all the hard lessons and hurt your feelings Mm -hmm. and one thing that I kept seeing was like beware of TikTok friendships because everyone is out for themselves and everyone's kind of looking for clout Wow, and you can kind of tell based on you know, the type of content that they put out and the frequency of it and how they engage with people. Like if people are reaching out to you and they're TikTok influencers, take a look at your numbers and your engagement and like kind of take a step back and try to understand why this person's reaching out to you. Is it it's because you're you're that cool? Is it because <laughs> your content is really that cool? Or did you have a post recently go viral and all eyes are on you right now? And I noticed that I was like towards the end when I really shouldn't say end. I feel like my TikTok's kind of over. So I'm going to reference it as the end. But um, I noticed people were starting to reach out to me. Random people. Oh my God, I love your content. And let's collaborate on this. And let's collaborate on that. Mm. Until I blew up my account with trying to do the right thing. Uh, But yeah, uh, (laughs) a lot of TikTok friendships are really opportunistic and if there isn't a desire or effort to get to know you on a personal level they're probably just looking to see what they can build off of the connection like what they can get um socially like currency wise from being connected to you yeah yeah and it is it can be a really big ego trip to get these followings um and I, I generally don't buy into the numbers, but then it becomes easy to trick yourself into thinking you have some kind of army or, or big group of people behind you. And the nature of TikTok really is so flimsy and in the moment that it, it's such an illusion. And um, I mean, I, I made that same mistake of having some friends, uh, uh, supposed friends who, you know, really... And it's, it wasn't everybody, but again, it was the autistic people who were the exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everybody, and not even all the autistic, but everybody that I think genuinely was just trying to be a good person in the thing was an autistic person. Um, maybe there were some exceptions, but yeah, that's that was a, a pretty good rule at the end of the day, looking back. But a lot of people are very opportunistic and out for themselves. And I kind of knew that, but then I thought I had some alliances and they were weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's it's even it's really important because some other articles from this journal that I was reading were talking about social connectedness. And one was saying that um increased social connected, it was like from a longitudinal study of adolescent brains, and it was saying that social connectedness in young people is really, really important for promoting positive well-being over time. And it can protect the well-being of people who are currently experiencing cyberbullying and cyber victimization, which just completely agrees with my experience. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. our experience. So I think it's really important to stay socially connected. Um, it's part of staying grounded. And um, there was another whole article that was talking about cybersecurity breach victims and talking about how some people have a tendency to react to something like a like getting doxxed to react to that with constructive and proactive actions that are likely to actually limit the negative consequences of the breach so like you can actually do stuff in the immediate aftermath of something like that happening to you Mm -hmm. that, that can mitigate the consequences 
Or you can experience instead just a strong stress reaction and not take the appropriate steps to deal with the situation. So the study was basically saying that your emotional health and stability directly impacts your ability to react in crisis situations, such as being doxxed. So, you know, I think people under undervalue the importance of emotional health and stability overall, but like in a crisis situation, it can mean the difference between you immediately took action to figure everything out and you got, you know, too depressed or anxious or stressed and you couldn't protect yourself even after the fact. And a big part of that is having community. And so it's really dangerous to be under this illusion that you have a community where suddenly they fall away in that crisis moment and you don't have that stability you thought you had. Yeah. Depending on your mental health, that can be devastating. And again, I think that's part of why certain people are targeted for cyberbullying attacks is when they don't have a solid community in real life and they don't have the best mental health and they're vulnerable in other ways. Mm -hmm. That's very intentional. People attack exactly those people. I also think that specific to TikTok, because TikTok's kind of a unique animal when it comes to all these different social media platforms. Everyone has like a TikTok feature, like reels and stories and all of that, but nothing quite nails it the way TikTok does. It's just, it's its own thing. And I think the the theory of per, of parasocial relationships has kind of kicked up a notch since the advent of TikTok. And specifically with the intense personal level of parasocial relationship, even more specifically among autistic people on TikTok. I feel like I can speak to this because I was definitely like a part of that community on TikTok and in our whole months long saga with yeah. cyberbullying. That intense personal parasocial relationships because of that emotional investment. And I would say it's like, kind of bordering on the the borderline pathological level of that but when it comes to the object of their relationship being threatened in some way or criticized in a way that they don't like mm -hmm. it's really easy for that person or maybe that fandom as a collective to really lean into that sense of belonging and that sense of community that they're they're a part of something it really lean into groupthink and conformity and like mob mentality and feeling justified in bullying or harassing or stalking whoever it is that's like unfairly treating the object of their parasocial affections. Yeah. There's something about that emotional investment, that one-sided emotional investment that makes them feel like if I say something horrible to this person, if I threaten to dox them, if I scare them, if I stand out as someone that's scary or intimidating to them, then maybe, maybe I'll get something in return in this parasocial relationship. Maybe that'll elevate this one-sided thing into a two-sided thing. And there's that desire to stand out in some way. Well, I think it might also be, uh, an autistic misunderstanding of hierarchy too. Mm. Like I've never really had, I always miss things that are important about hierarchy to other people. Um, and so I can see how if I, if I really loved, if I was devoted to an influencer who had a much higher following count than me, I might dismiss that completely and think we were on the same level <laughs> coming from a place of autism. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can see that. And then the other thing, that I think might play a part as well is um, that I was also reading about victims of online hate speech are actually more likely to become perpetrators of hate speech. So there's kind of a pipeline between victims of bullying and perpetrators of the bullying. And I guess it can come from something like wanting to have revenge or just, I don't know why exactly, but I think it's interesting that there's a pipeline. I think it's like a lot of it's a lot of uh, unhealed people reacting in unhealed ways. Yeah. I also think that there's there's something to call out creators. Maybe it's just the drama farming aspect of it. Maybe it's the emotionality of the, I guess drama is inherently emotional. Um, 
but they're able to grow these cult-like followings with people that are so emotionally invested in everything that they do. And I think if you're drawn to being a toxic influencer, a toxic call-out content creator, there might be a little bit of narcissism there. (laughs) Like, it's a parasocial relationship from the the viewer to the influencer but there's also a need being satisfied by that influencer and I don't think they can differentiate between who their followers are I don't think there's any care or concern or even desire to know who their individual followers are but they have they they establish a relationship with the collective as like a singular entity as a singular friend. And I said that over and over again, whenever I would make content about this particular subject, um, talking about Allie, Allie starts a cult. We'll get into her in another episode, (laughs) but, uh, I always said she's in a, she was in a narcissistic relationship cycle with her collective and each individual of her collective was in a parasocial relationship with her. Yeah. That was toxic on both ends, but there was no real bond being made Mm -hmm. between anyone. And she was able to snap her fingers and weaponize that entity towards anyone she chose for any reason. Yeah. Because they were so devoted to her, they didn't ask any questions. Everything she said was taken at face value, taken as the gospel. And considering a lot of her following was autistic, they weren't expecting to be lied to all the time or misled in any way. And she was able to use that to her advantage. And they were willing to act at a moment's notice with with no background info, with no questions asked, because they wanted that attention from her. They don't need much from the influencer in order to maintain that parasocial relationship. They never needed anything in the first place to make that emotional investment in her yeah well it could just as soon be redirected at anyone I think which is part of the weakness of it and the the scary level of everybody being willing to abandon or turn against her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which I'm sure she didn't see coming I wouldn't have seen it coming (laughs) but yeah but things like the flying monkeys which is again like a common term for uh, a type of relationship that a narcissist maintains which is where they'll they'll have some sort of external person who believes in them and will come to you to try to either get information out of you or harangue you or do some do their bidding basically mm-hmm. and um when it's these situations of cult like followings of influencers the flying monkeys are amplified into thousands of people mm-hmm. you know who can come and swarm your comments <laughs> like like invaders you know like a horde and overwhelm you so that's that's not necessarily something that just a narcissist that you know in a one-to-one relationship can do right gives kind of an unwieldy amount of power to the person yeah and I guess being a flying monkey in that context um there's motivation and the hope of some kind of reward for acting on that and I think part of the motivation is, well, maybe that per- if I leave a really nasty comment, if it's outrageous enough, maybe this person will make like a, a comment video about it. Yeah. And then maybe my toxic influencer cult leader will see it and respond to it. And now I'm really in the mix in a different way. Yeah. I mean, part of it is that wanting to be in the center of things to some degree and just getting some kind of dopamine rush from that individual interaction or the possibility of it, which you really can't get from a more separated, you know, one directional relationship like you might have with a celebrity or somebody on TV. Mm-hmm. There's like a thrill. There's like, that's almost um, one of the, one of the y- unique perks of uh, influencer culture and being a follower of an influencer is that idea that you can have some kind of some level of one-to-one interaction, even if it is that public facing parasocial, even if they're just react, you know, hearting your comment or something, Mm -hmm. Angelina Jolie is never going to heart your comment. So that's part of why I think people are there. 
yeah, there's that illusion, I guess. Yeah. Of that person being like the person next door, like they're super relatable and super accessible, but at a certain level, I think on any social media platform, that person's not accessible to you anymore. Hmm. Like when they're in the hundreds of thousands of followers and they're following back like 10 people, like it was never about community. (laughs) They were never going to respond to you. Like, there's a couple of TikTok influencers I follow that um, they follow back. Mm-hmm. everyone that follows them or they can they curate it in a way but every for every follower they're following that person back or just not allowing that person to follow them mm-hmm. so the numbers are exactly the same follower and following yeah I I and, never keep up but I did I followed a lot of people that followed me I've followed like 4,000 people <laughs> I mean you have to be really intentional about it from the start but like you can tell when someone is really intentional about doing that it's about community and it's about getting a handle on who's following you and actually knowing who they are versus just like, I have half a million followers and I'm following back a hundred people and like, it's never going to be about you ever. The characteristics of an intense personal parasocial relationship. Let me go through some of those bullet points. Okay. Um, so there's a feeling of closeness or familiarity with the media figure. There's a a sense of social connectedness or understanding through that relationship. There's an emotional investment from the viewer. There's an interest in that media figure's personal life and activities. And a feeling of disappointment or even betrayal when that media figure doesn't meet that person's individual, their individual expectations. And that's an important point because you mentioned like how flimsy the bond is and how quickly they'll just like eat the influencer when things don't go their way. Yeah. And we witnessed that happen in a huge way. Like whenever, like in the case of Ali starts a cult Whenever one of her, I, get, I want to call them minions. I know that's not like the best term, <laughs> but whenever they would do something on on her behalf or say something awful or cheer her on, yeah, but yeah. then have a question, literally any kind of question, and they would get immediately blocked or berated by her. Yeah, they were instantly on the opposition side after that. And coming to all of us with their long apology paragraphs. And can you please unblock me? Can we please be friends now? <laughs> and then wanting to wanting to behave on our behalf in the exact same way that they would for her. Like at the drop of a hat. Yeah, which is not what anybody asked for. And it was no. also very performative. All the apologies were very, I mean... I think that was like in the vein of the example that you said, but then um, it was disturbing how many people kind of jumped on this weird train of wanting to be in a certain position in the narrative of what was happening, but there was no substance behind it whatsoever. (laughs) Kind of embarrassing for them, honestly. But yeah, uh, Yeah. it was like just a complete misunderstanding about what actually needed to be done to take any kind of accountability. And in fact, I think a lot of the people that were doing that were not interested in taking accountability. It was never about that because they were never really, some of them were thinking they were betrayed by her or something or hurt because of maybe that, that overly intense kind of relationship that they had because of some kind of antisocial issues perhaps. But, um, I don't think they were ever really on her side. I think that she was always, you know, you really do become an object when you're an influencer to people and they project onto you mm-hmm. and and you're attracting your audience and they're attracting you because that's how the algorithm works, but there's an energy to what you attract. So I think that, you know, they were drawn to her because they were able to project something in particular out through her or onto her that felt good and was some kind of dopamine rush. But as soon as that 
changed as soon as she either, because it was kind of some high control mechanism to berate people as soon as they question you and kick them out. Mm-hmm. The weakness of that bond, I think they were more miffed than anything, you know, like, like maybe they reacted extremely, but that's because of their own projections more than mm-hmm. any kind of real relationship. So yeah, I don't think they were ever on her side and then came to our side. I think they were just always there on their own side, trying to get, you know, dopamine or whatever. Um, I guess. Very performative. Because it, yeah, it really know. wasn't about being on anyone's side. It was about yeah being a bully and a troll and wanting to be hateful for some reason on yeah. behalf of anyone. <laughs> yeah. Like just and be also, a bully on your own then. Yeah. Yeah. And also they were, a lot of these people were not people that are usually having their face on camera either. So I think there was a little bit of a weird, like it was interesting that Jubilee kind of brought in this aspect of needing to get on camera in order to have some kind of one-to-one connection or, or conversation because some people were very unused to getting on camera and being some kind of performative narrative aspect of the story that they were engaging in. So, you know, to watch that play out and to watch people kind of test the waters of actually getting their face up there or getting some level of personal connection to what they were saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some cases having that bite them in the butt because they, what they were saying was not cool, you know, and there is a point where it makes sense to then say, Hey, you're a therapist and you're, you're out here diagnosing people with narcissism or whatever, like maybe don't, maybe your job should know about that (laughs) with your full Mm. face name (laughs) you put there, you know, there's, that's different. I think when somebody's, because it is, it's different when you put your face on things, it ties it to your real world, your real life. And there's real, there can be real consequences in all directions. So there's, yeah. Um, And I remember the thing I was going to, Uh, jump in with before it was about authenticity because I think authenticity is such an ephemeral thing and such an illusion and and my position on authenticity I may have said this before is that we're all authentic because we're all people but there's also levels of performativeness and identity that are kind of layered on top of everybody of course and then we have this kind of illusion of authenticity where some people are authentic and some people are not authentic and that's so ephemeral. That's so flimsy. It's not anything you can pin down really. So it's used in people's narratives and it can just as, as quickly be turned back against them. So in a case like with Allie, people see her as authentic, especially when she's a smaller creator growing because she had passion, because she was she put emotion into the content And you can buy into it and feel like it's a real connection, a real emotion, a real person you might have as a friend, an imperfect, flawed friend. And then suddenly you can snap back into reality about that. And part of that is kind of losing the illusion of authenticity. And you can you can just turn that back around on people and say that they're inauthentic as soon as they get big. There's nothing they can do about that. There was never anything to pin down about it in the first place. So you Mm. can just it can just be used as like a a justification to turn right around and abandon people as soon as they get too big, then they just get subsumed in the end. I think that commonly happens with influencers and even celebrities. Yeah. Are you tired of feeling unsafe online? Do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. I think one of the most interesting things I observed through all of this is 
the people that were either pushed away or chose to walk away from Ali for whatever reason, uh, they kind of just migrated to the Reddit, which we'll probably do a whole episode about the Reddit, but they migrated to this other group where they could air out their grievances about, you know, their, their heartbreak about their parasocial relationship ending their parasocial relationship breakup mm-hmm. and looking back on it it's almost funny how there's basically now a support group for people that were in parasocial relationships with this one pretty awful toxic influencer mm-hmm. and they're kind of supporting each other in the toxic relationship that they had with her. Meanwhile, still being awful bullies and still being toxic toward everyone that they were actively abusing and enabling abuse towards from the beginning. And it's just, it's weird looking at it now as a support group for people that were in a parasocial relationship with Allie yeah. And they just continue, they're just continuing on that legacy of not really asking questions, not really deconstructing, not yeah. really recognizing the parasocial nature of that relationship or the emotional investment in all of the drama. It just kind of migrated to a different platform. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it I mean, lives on without her influence. Yeah. It has nothing to do with her. And that was kind of, that was a realization that I had. I guess later in the game too, to some extent, because I bought into the idea that these people were genuinely hurt when they were coming away from the situation and like they, you know, deserved a chance. And um, the the way that they just turned right back around and continued, they never changed the entire time. None of those people had any kind of change of heart and you really can't change people at the end of the day, but when they are like when they are playing this part of somebody who is contrite, um, and it really is just a complete performance because it's just a bunch of bullies, and it goes on for months, and then yeah, they have this weird support group, as if anything even happened to them. It's really just for people who it's like weird antisocialness and. You know, that's not going to end well. That's not some cohesive group of friends. That's a bunch of people who are interested in having a conspiracy against someone else. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's not going to go well. But it was very interesting how that played out and how they they basically just never changed the entire time. Yeah, they just found a new place to huddle. That's all. Yeah, yeah and I was going to say about internet spaces, I think it's very interesting. And maybe we should have a whole other episode about different platforms and the importance of understanding there's something about the space that you're in that contributes to the kind of community that you can build there, how sustainable it is to build a community there. Just by the nature of the platform, the reality that Reddit doesn't have people's faces behind the usernames makes it an entirely different game. There were also discords involved, which are much more cloistered away private spaces and other kinds of spaces. I mean, I think that, yeah, there's just a huge difference in what you can foster. And I don't think, I think a lot of influencers and a lot of people aren't necessarily intentional about what space they start to try to build communities and movements in. I didn't understand until I lived through some of it. And also the fact that in our situation with Ali Starts a Call, we were jumping around from platform to platform. And um, I was pretty ill-prepared at the time. But looking back, one of the first things I would do if I ever found myself in a similar situation again would be to familiarize myself with as many of these platforms as possible, as early as possible. The other thing Mm -hmm. I would do is record and record a lot more, (laughs) record all the comments, screenshot everything, even more than I did, which I did quite a bit of, even more than I did. But but yeah, to familiarize yourself with the character of these different spaces, I think is pretty powerful because otherwise you can really be flying blind and, um, and just, yeah, if you can be intentional about like moving 
Like, I think that it's clever of us to be intentional about where we're having this conversation that we're having right now to not be having it on TikTok, for example. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. It's important to know the nature of a platform before you get on it because people with ill intent, bad actors will always infiltrate it in some way Yeah, where they can stay anonymous or hidden in some way where they can inflict the much the most pain and damage as they can without any actual blowback to themselves without revealing who they are and i think tiktok is one of the worst places for that it's not like facebook where everything's attached to your identity and facebook mm-hmm. is i think more and more people are realizing how much of a problem facebook is mm-hmm. for privacy now more so than ever yeah I feel like MySpace was even worse back in the day, <laughs> but I mean, Facebook, your, your whole network is connected to your personal identity. Mm-hmm. Every place you've ever lived, every milestone in your life is documented on Facebook. Um, you can only make so many accounts with your full name on Facebook. Mm-hmm. TikTok, you can be anyone. You can make as many TikTok accounts as you can. And people are so vulnerable on TikTok because it's it's short form and now I mean with the 10 minute feature it's kind of long form video content and people are being so vulnerable and sharing so much of themselves on screen recording themselves sometimes all day multiple times a day recording themselves in their houses like out and about around their homes where they shop where they eat where they get coffee where they get where they grab drinks yeah, they're recording themselves on the street doing dances with well, people are passing by. It's really easy to locate people if you're if you're like a crazy stalker, and you can do a lot of damage from a really anonymous account, and then go to your your Reddit huddle because there's always there's always a subreddit dedicated to some influencer. Like if you have over I don't know, ten thousand followers on TikTok, you have a Reddit you have a hate Reddit. Guaranteed. Yeah. Well, and you didn't even mention this feature of TikTok now, which is literally some weird time, which I did for about a month sometime back in November. Um, at some random time of the day, you have about a three minute countdown during which you need to take a picture of yourself and your surrounding like front and back camera. And it was trying to be like some other app called, I think be real or something. Mm-hmm. But but it ultimately became too creepy for me. I was trying to engage in it because I know TikTok kind of rewards you for engaging with its features, but it was just way too much information. And then I think it's a good point about Facebook. Everybody's connected to their identity. And then on Reddit, nobody has to be connected to their identity. And TikTok in a way is more dangerous than both because people are like about, it's like half and half, like people are connected to their identity and then plenty of people are also anonymous. And so there's a very big power differential with that. There's Mm -hmm. a vulnerability to having your face on these things. And there's a difference in like, what's even Googleable. Like if there is a hate Reddit of me, it's kind of buried underneath of um, different accomplishments that I've had throughout my life. But when when Ali's videos were up, plastering on my face (laughs) this is spiritual psychosis calling me an insane murderer those videos popped right up to the top because of Mm -hmm. just the way that those search results work so there's Mm -hmm. a there's a difference in vulnerability and there's a power differential on tiktok that doesn't exist on either of those other platforms yeah it's actually kind of terrifying to know that you can be the target of a swarm of online bullies on TikTok and then someone can search your name and boom there's all that content yeah on the first page of Google like how awful is that and the bullying can be for no reason yeah it can just be lies and TikTok won't even take it down <laughs> god i and mean to it's know that there's so many people there's so many people from every different walk of life, from every level of accomplishment, every level of everything, every socioeconomic level 
that have been targets of cyberbullying, specifically on TikTok and, and in conjunction with Reddit. Yeah. Because you can say whatever you want on Reddit unless there's a hate mob that's reporting your content there. Which, I mean, that happens, but it's it's a very targeted effort to get your content removed from Reddit. Yeah. But um, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing so many examples of that TikTok, Reddit hatred towards people. And the reasons behind it are usually so dumb and so nonsensical. And it's usually taking someone's words out of context and then boom, there's this whole hate train, a hate freight train barreling towards them from a million different directions. Yeah. Yeah. And then some people really like to be so dismissive about the real world harm of that. And just say things like, just get offline, just ignore it, just block them. Just completely dismissing the reality of some people's experiences. (laughs) And I think part of it is just subjectifying influencers too. And thinking that, but I mean, we're all here under capitalism. Like, like there's all this weird judgment of different types of work and different types of things that people try to do to make a living in the world, to try to survive in the world, to exist. Um, I don't understand why it's such a huge stretch to imagine that some people in today's world in 2023, where, first of all, you see that some people do make it really big in this space. And it can be a very, it can be in some ways more of a bootstraps space than other, than you can have anywhere else. Um, You can really just make it big on the, on the strength of your character, on the strength of your charisma, or on the strength of your idea in that kind of social market space. So that's very enticing for people who can't just get some nine to five job and get slowly rich that way or whatever, or slow, you know, survive, don't have access, whether it's because of disability, whether it's just because of, I mean, coronavirus, like everything has changed and there's so many different situations people find themselves in. Is it really that hard to imagine that there are real reasons why it helps people's mental health to have an online presence, to talk publicly, or is it so hard to imagine that it makes sense that people would be trying to stake their claim to some kind of space for their business idea, for their, you've written books, like, of course you want to get onto book talk and, and, you know, share those ideas with people. And that's, and I've done music that was really the big reason why I wanted to start my account was I, I ended up talking about a lot around spirituality, but to start with, it was about my music and I wanted to share that. And in 2023, of course I have to go on to TikTok to share my music. Mm-hmm. There's, that's how you get your music on the radio nowadays. And that's my entire life dream. I've ever since I was very young, I've been working, I've been in school 13 years for music. I was a piano player doing, you know, I was taking lessons before that I was writing music. I was doing a garage band in high school. I'm 31. I've never had my music like heard by more than immediate family. And I've produced hours of music. I think I, of course, that's my life. That's not just some sort of passing fashion. And then I'm going to go get a job. That's like what my soul is. So yeah, I'm going to go on TikTok and no, that doesn't mean that I deserve or made people bully me (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know that's that's not fair to just dismiss it and say we'll just get offline or just stop engaging or just accept the consequences of being an object now because you put yourself in that position we're all objects because of capitalism Mm -hmm. because this is the only way that I can even get my music out there and I would shrivel up and die without without being able to share my music and I live in 2023 during the coronavirus pandemic, where I can't go and do a show, which I was planning to do in 2019, you know, of my music. No, I have to go on TikTok. Or else what am I doing? So I I just don't think it's I mean, that's just me. There's a million different stories for why you would end up in that space. um, Why you might need to be there or want to be there. And that doesn't mean that you made it happen that you got bullied or that doesn't mean you deserved it. That doesn't mean you are an object. And it's okay for people to just try to destroy you for fun because you you signed on to that contract just by being an influencer. 
no, this is capitalism. Like we're all, we, none of us should have to be objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, signing up for a social media platform to promote your art, whether it's writing music, whatever the case may be, it doesn't mean you have to just accept being abused and stalked and doxxed and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, I find it kind of offensive when people take that attitude. It's just basically a self-centeredness. It's an inability to empathize. And I think it might also have something to do with envy. I think there's a level of envy that plays into relationships with influencers, parasocial relationships that um, isn't necessarily warranted because especially nowadays, there's not like it might, there might be a perception that we make money from this really, or that we do, we have all this success or that we're very aspirational because I think even to rise up in influencer space, there's some level of aspirational content you have to kind of do. You have to kind of seem cool or like you have to have nice lighting or environment or something. So it's aspirational. So I see how people there's, there's an element of envy. And I think that can play into why people listen to an influencer and try to copy them or allow their thoughts to be influenced. And then that same envy is also playing into that turnaround and that ultimate willingness to eat the influencer. Mm -hmm. Mm. Do you feel like you've witnessed the, let's see, I guess the top tier of parasocial relationship on TikTok, the the borderline pathological obsessive stalker parasocial relationship. Have I witnessed it or have, do you mean, have I like experienced that with my following or do you mean, have I just seen that through, have I just seen that play out? Either or. I mean, I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking honestly of Womblands and that whole thing is being <laughs> like of uh, maybe an example of that kind of extreme. But um, in my own following, I don't think so. I've, people kind of slough away, even the people that are pretty, um, they're dealing with some kind of antisocial issue. They, they will slough away just as quickly as they'll come at you. And I find that there is some weird buffer where people almost are too lazy to bring things into the real world until it gets very, very serious. So I think it's kind of rare that like there will be people that will stalk you on social media in the sense that you will block them and they'll continue to come at you with other accounts. Ali actually did that to me. And I think to Mal- Ali had like six or seven accounts. Like, Ali had a ton of accounts and I don't know how many she actively used at any given time, but um that was a behavior that I I termed stalking, which I know people found kind of controversial because they thought it should be something more extreme. But I think that, you know, that's a crossing of boundaries when you just, when you block somebody and you say, I don't want to engage with you anymore. And they keep coming at you and they keep harassing you with multiple accounts after that. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com. 